0: Welcome to the Punk Rock NBA Podcast.
2: What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Very excited to welcome Johnny Frank to the show. Johnny is the brains behind Bill Murray. B-I-L-M-U-R-I. Sounds like the actor, but spelled differently. He has another project called The March Ahead. He's been a producer for maybe 10 years or something like that. And you may also know him... As the kid with the afro that did clean vocals and played guitar in Attack Attack back in the day, so I wanted to have him on for a few reasons. First of all, I'm a big fan of his music. I love all the projects, like pretty much everything he's ever been involved with. I like, but beyond that, what I wanted to talk about was two things. First of all, he is one of the most insanely prolific people that I have ever encountered. I think over the past four years between those two projects, he's released something like ten or eleven albums, like well over a hundred songs. And this is all like good stuff. This is not like Viper or something where he's putting out a thousand mixtapes a year, but it's all garbage. Johnny's one of these rare breeds that's able to produce a huge volume of really high quality work. I find that super inspiring. So I wanted to sit down and talk to him about exactly how he does that, like figure out how he's wired. Second thing I wanted to do is talk about the business side of things, because he has been able, in the past, I think maybe about a year ago, he made Bill Murray his exclusive full-time job, and he's doing it all DIYs, basically just out of his home studio in Columbus, no manager, no label, no booking agent, no none of that stuff, they barely even tour. Just to me, this is the model for what an independent creator looks like in 2020. So I wanted to sit down with him and talk about how he runs things from the business side as well. So yeah, super excited to have Johnny on the show and let's get into it. Johnny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for making time for this. I know you got a lot of stuff going on, so I appreciate it. I'm really excited to be talking to you.
1: Yeah, man, I'm excited to be here.
2: You are on the eve of the release of your next album, album number twenty-seven, Rich Sips.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's album number nine, but if it uh, you know, some I feel like nine can feel like twenty-seven sometimes.
2: Well, that's album number nine from Bill Murray.
1: Yeah, that's true. There's other albums,
2: and you got another three or four or something from your other bands.
1: Yeah, it's it's up there for sure. But yeah, album number nine in three years or four years now. 16 to 19.
2: Like I mentioned earlier, what I really wanted to focus on was just like how you have been able to make a living off of your music without doing a lot of things that people think you need to do. And I mean, let's just jump right into it. Like the fact that you're so insanely prolific. I don't know that that's necessarily realistic for everybody because you're kind of a freak outlier I, I, I think. But there's still something to be learned there. Like how do you how do you just release so much shit?
1: I mean, it's, it's really what I do to kind of stay sane. Like, you know, I know that you do jujitsu and stuff like that. It makes you feel like, all right, you know, life's, it's going to be all right. That's what music does for me. So if I'm not doing it, I feel like a huge piece of shit, kind of just like, what am I doing with my life? So the second I finish a record, I'm starting the next record immediately, like within a week, within probably less than a week. Um, So there's that. I mean, I get bored really easily too. So my natural inclima- like inclination is to just write music when I'm bored. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just like love doing it. So I do it all the time. And I don't know, the way I also view it is you can, it's basically like an adventure that you can have inside of your house where every time you open up your DAW, you just don't know what's going to happen. You have no idea. You have no clue where you're going to be at or what's going to come out of it. And if you make something that's like truly great, uh, it's just, I don't know. There's just not much that can match that feeling wise.
2: It's interesting that you would say that, um, about doing that to stay sane. Cause that's kind of how I feel about everything that I do is, you know, I've, I, I'm the opposite of most people. Like if I am not working, I get nervous and stressed out and yep. like, I don't, it makes me feel bad. You know, like for me, like relaxing is like, okay, I can get through this. (laughs) I can go a day and a half without working.
1: (laughs) Dude, it sucks. It's so boring. Like we, I went on a vacation uh, to the beach and I like got a CrossFit membership at a beach, like at the beach because I was like, I need something to fucking do. Yeah. Cause like, I don't know, people, there's certain people who can just sit at a beach for like seven hours and just hang out and do nothing. And, uh, I'm just not that person. I need something to create or something to be like building towards. Yeah. I think also is your mind like pretty hyperactive.
2: Well, I don't know what other people's minds are like, so I don't, I can't compare it to anything, but probably.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, if I sit by myself, I feel like I'm driving myself nuts if I'm not doing anything. Yeah. So yeah, I would say so probably.
2: So I I think, you know, for a lot of people who are listening, sometimes people ask me about being organized or productivity or motivation or something like that. And I used to tell them, oh, well, I use Evernote or whatever the fuck, you know, and then I realized, you know, it's not that at all. It's just the way I was born. And uh, at least that's what I think. I, I think this is just the way some of us are wired to just be kind of wired to make shit all the time. And that's not you know, better or worse than anybody. I think it's just the way we're naturally wired.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are times where I'm like, I wish I could sit on a beach for seven hours and not like, and enjoy that. For sure. Like, it would be fantastic. I'm sure it's fun. I see <laughs> plenty of other people doing it, but I will sit there for like an hour and just, I need to go work out. I need to do something that gets my blood pumping. You can make it a whole ex- hour. Wow. <laughs> It's hard. I mean, now with phones, it's it's a little easier. But even <laughs> then, I'm like, "Fuck, dude." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that's wh- that's the main reason why I make so much music.
2: And have you ever had like a job other than music, like a full time job?
1: Uh, no. Well, I ha- I mean, like when I was 15, I worked at Hollister. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> for like two months at Polaris, and then yeah, I- yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. And I worked in the back because I wasn't hot enough to uh-huh. go out front, but I worked there for two months and then I quit that. And then I worked at Panera for one month and I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> so I quit that. And I, I used my last paycheck to buy the auto tuner for Attack Attack. Nice. And you were like,
2: what, 17 or something then? 16? 16. Yeah. 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 But other than that, that's all I've had. And you're 28 now? 29? 29. So you've been doing music full time for 13 years. That's actually crazy. I haven't thought about that. It's a long time. That's a long time. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's very long. Damn, that's cool. Yeah, it's super cool.
2: And for anybody who doesn't know, so you you do everything in Bill Murray yourself, right? Like you write and play and record and mix everything, right?
1: I think for all the records up until this one, uh, yeah. But this one's the first one where I really started opening it up to other people. So I did a couple co-writes on this record. And then... I had my buddy Will mix this record. But before that, yeah, it was all... I mean, especially before the band had any sort of momentum. It's like, hey, do you want to work on a Bill Murray song? And everyone's like, fuck, <laughs> who the fuck is that? I don't care. But now it's like it carries a little bit more weight with it. So uh-huh. people are like, oh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, so up until this record, I've done most everything. I always have people collaborate, though. You know, like the saxophone solo on the last record is, is you know, my buddy. So, I mean, there's always been... Small levels of collaboration, but I'd say 90% of what it is is just me.
2: So I guess where I'm headed with that is like you said, now you're collaborating with people and stuff, but that's by choice because you think it'll be a cool, creative, you know, kind of tool rather than a lot of people where I think they are afraid or. I don't know. I love the idea of being sort of the one man band that you are alone on an island by yourself and you do everything, not just the music, but you also make a lot of videos and kind of random content. So you like write it, you produce it, you create, you market it, like you do everything. And that to me is the essence of what I am about.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, most of the stuff I learned how to do because I was just so pissed off that I had to rely on other people to do it. Yeah. And and also that other people couldn't understand what I was trying to get them to do. So like perfect example is a lot of the I've shot a lot of Bill Murray music videos and edited a lot of Bill Murray music videos. But when we first started I which I had tried like 3 different times with 3 different people, paid them money to to do a music video and just it failed every time so I was like, well fuck this, I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit on YouTube for four or five hours a day and just learn about video cameras or, you know, I don't know if they still call it, DSLRs. <laughs> right. And I'm going to figure that out, figure about color grading. But it's basically, I, I don't want to be over-reliant and say it has to be me because at the end of the day, I just want to make dope shit. So if someone, you know, is way better than me at shooting music video, and gets what I'm trying to go for, I'm like, absolutely. Or if someone is better at mixing than me and sees what I'm trying to do and does a better job, I'm like, yes. So I don't want my, I don't want my ego to get in the way of like, will this song be better if this person is involved? If so, then they're going to be involved, you know, if they want to. But you're never
2: dependent Um, on anyone else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I learned producing. I was, I produced, Full time for eight years. I learned producing because I was so pissed off that I couldn't tell pe- tell people like I would get an idea, and I knew in my head it would be dope, but I try to explain. It. It's like do do do, you know, with my mouth or right, something right. like that. I'd try to. It's like this goes into like a breakdown here, <laughs> and people would be like, "Oh, that 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 idea sucks." I'm like, "Yeah, it kind of sucks the way I explained it, right. but the way I see it in my head is pretty cool." So. I uh you know, I, I learned that because I was just angry because I know this song is good if you just if I just had a chance to show you what I'm thinking. So that's how I learned how to produce is out of a just need to songwrite. I learned mixing out of just a need to learn how to do that to get where I wanted to be. But yeah, it it definitely you know, it took me a really long time to learn all those skills to be able to make Bill Murray. You know, that seven years of producing full-time pretty much every day, I sucked for like the first three or four years. I was so bad. Um, But, you know, it seems like Bill Murray came out of nowhere, but it is just a culmination of the past seven, eight, nine years of learning those skills to be able to put it into something that is that music.
2: So you put out the first Bill Murray record, what, three years ago, four years ago? January 2016. So you had been doing music for almost a decade before you put out the first Bill Murray release. Definitely. Yeah. That's a little while. The 10 year overnight success, as they say. Yeah. You learn a lot, you know, when you're sitting in your mom's basement recording death metal bands, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I love about that is just, you know, there's so many people that I talk to that are always saying, I can't do this. I can't do that. And this won't happen because this person won't like just the idea that they're always looking for somebody to come along and give them permission or unlock some door for them instead of just going, well, fuck that. I'll just like open the door myself and maybe it'll take me a year or two, but I'll just do it myself.
1: Yeah, you have to. I mean, but you also have to really love doing it because if you don't, you're not going to eat that shit for three, four years, you know,
2: Well that's the other thing that I think is interesting, and I'm not that I'm trying to like criticize people, but just just that I want to point out some of the thinking, and I've been guilty of all this stuff too. For people that say that they struggle with motivation, you know, that they love music but they struggle with motivation to practice or write songs or whatever, and they go, Well, maybe you don't love it as much as you think you do.
1: Yeah, you like the idea of it. Yeah.
2: But like you gotta love the work.
1: Yeah, it's like you like the idea of you standing on a stage in front of a thousand people. Do you like the idea of you playing shows to no one? Do you like the idea of, you know, sitting for hours on end trying to get this song right and just all the stuff that goes into that one moment? It's it's thousands and thousands of hours to be able to get to that point, which is fine. I mean, like some people are just like, "Hey, I want to strum a guitar on my off time." I'm like, "That is dope." Like whatever. Totally. However music adds value to your life, do that. But if you'd say you want to make things happen, like a lot of the times you just have to put the work in.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of times it comes down to that. And speaking of shows, uh, it seems like you have been a little bit more active with touring this year. But I know before you said you don't really like playing shows that much. And so you have been primarily, I guess you call it a studio project, but you haven't played a ton of shows with Bill Murray, right? We've probably played a couple hundred or probably a hundred shows. OK, well, so that's a little that's a little bit.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like
2: shitty house shows, and you've never tried really to like be a serious touring band, and I'm sure you could. I mean, you know, lots of people you you could you could be on a label, you could have a booking agent, you could have all of these things that other bands do, but you've chosen not to. Can you just kind of talk about that?
1: Yeah, well, I just I mean, I did the touring thing uh, a couple of years before that, and I just didn't like it. Um, you know. I there's really hard to have like a relationship with someone when you're gone a lot. And I just didn't want to do that. Uh, I wanted to set roots down and go to the same coffee shop every day and work out every day. And it's really difficult to do that on tour. That being said, I love playing shows. You know, I think it's fun, but, uh, it's like finding the balance that doesn't topple my life over my personal life where, you know, a lot of these guys, not everyone, like some people are just built for touring. Totally. They can just do it and props to them because it is so difficult to do. But, you know, you see a lot of people who have a lot of struggles in their personal lives because they're out on the road. And um, that was definitely me. I was like, just, yeah, it was very difficult. So I, uh, I stepped back and I was like, well, what do I want this band to be? What do I want the the uh, ratio to be of shows, writing, promoting, which is kind of, I feel like, the holy trinity of making music. But it definitely leans way more into my strength, which is producing and writing than, like, I'm good at playing live shows and stuff like that, but that's not where I what I love. It's like more of a dessert on the side that I can have every once in a while. But I do think as, you know, bill murray's fan base grows i want to meet the people who help me live like and we did a run on the east coast recently like a couple months ago and it was one of the most rewarding experiences just be like i mean we would literally play a show and then just have drinks with people at, at the end of the night and talk until the show is over and how to get to hang out with all these people who are listening to my music and they would ask me questions. I'd ask them questions. It was just like such a human experience that was nice.
2: I mean, from looking at your social media posts, I mean, and I don't get the sense that you're a bullshitter. Well, that's nice. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think we're probably wired the same. Which is like sometimes I wish I was better at faking it, but I'm just not. Yeah. And uh, it seemed like you were just really, really enjoying that tour a lot. It seemed like you had a really good time playing those shows. Well, there's an interesting thing that happens where it's like the first five days is
1: so fun but then like beyond a week I I hate it I want to go home I don't like have any energy left to give the way I try to explain it to people is like if you went on a vacation to a cabin like one week of that vacation is gonna be dope but if you're like dude I'm going for a month I'd be like that (laughs) sounds like hell that doesn't sound like a vacation so the difference between a week and anything really above a week for touring is the difference between a month long vacation or, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. But yeah, I usually start to Peter out around like seven to 10 days. And you know, if I play a show, I want to be giving people everything I got. And if I don't have anything left, then it's going to be shitty.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, that's the reason why I never tried to be in a serious band of any kind is because I know I fucking hate traveling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fucking despise it more than almost anything. And, uh, you know, I would just be setting myself up for failure because I know I'd be miserable and people can tell. And i bum everyone else out that I was in the band with. And it's just, I just know myself well enough to just not even go there.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think, um, like, there's ways to make touring good. But,
2: man, the amount of downtime is, is absurd. I hate being out of my routine, like you said. Like, not being yeah. able to eat what I want i I'm pretty picky about my diet. I don't, you know, missing workouts, all that shit just drives me nuts real fast.
1: Dude, if, if I don't work out, man, I just get, I go down a spiral. So yeah, even on tour, I have to make sure I'm working out, but it's so difficult. I mean, you, I've saw you post a couple weeks ago when you were at that URM Yeah, that you're like, man, I'm trying to not eat like shit while I'm, tour- while I'm out and I'm trying to work out, but even it's still pretty hard.
2: And they were shitty workouts, you know, it wasn't, you know, I had to kind of rush through it, but at least it was better than nothing, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I think about, I mean, to use an example, kind of, you know, close to home for you. I remember one of Mice and Men came out and they were immediately on the road, like fucking nine months a year, 10 months a year, immediately. Yeah. And uh, it's just like, I remember seeing a few bands around that time do that. And I was just like, well, shit, that's what it takes. Okay.
1: Yeah. And I think just things have changed so much. I do think before the internet, that is how you would do things. You're a walking advertisement. Now, the funny thing that I've realized is if you're on a record label, you're a walking advertisement for someone else who's making money. You.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I'll talk about that. You were, you were tweeting about that the other day. Maybe you can talk about that idea a little bit.
1: Well, okay. I mean like a basic record contract they they've like very pretty drastically, but if you're thinking about it from a business it's like, we're going to give you a loan, and then we're going to take 80% of everything you make after that.
2: I mean, a label's a bank, basically, at the end of the day. It's
1: the worst bank ever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A loan like, with the worst terms you've ever heard of.
1: There's no interest, but we make 80% of all your profits. It's like no business person would take that loan any in any other situation. Right. Like, But for some reason, bands do. Now, it does scale. like. That's the thing, is at the, what you were saying, is that the very tippy-top, if, if you're making 20% of $50 million, then you're making good money. But, I mean, that's just such a small fraction of
2: what most bands make. Um, well, I think most bands want to get signed not because they did the math and they said... Clout chasers. Clout chasers or, or lazy... Uh, I think they do it not because they did the math and they are like, okay, this is a financially good decision on our part. Um, which if, if you have done that math and you think it makes sense, cool. But I think a lot of them are just like, well, we don't like marketing and we don't like, uh, you know, they want a manager and an agent and all these people just because they don't like doing that part of it. And then they complain because they're not making any money. And it's like, well, yeah, because you have like 10 fucking people on your payroll, essentially. Like, if you have a manager and a booking agent, like, yes, they're going to take some of your money because they work for you. Yeah. And they, I mean, you're benefiting off
1: of the people that they know. I mean... That's how it works. Yeah. Like, if you want access to their network, you got to pay for it. Yep. And that's the thing is, like, I don't hate record labels. I just don't think it works for most bands. It definitely works for... Like, it worked for Attack Attack. Like, we... Sold a lot of records. Rise
2: had an amazing machine back then.
1: Yeah. And so I was like, no, you know, I don't want to spew anything out, but it's like for that, most bands are not that, you know, which is fine. But it's like, if you want to make thirty, forty thousand dollars 40000 a year from your band, you can do that way easier independently than than uh, you can on a label. It's just a simple like matter of numbers. If you, all right, how many records would you have to sell? 10 bucks a pop independently to make $40,000. Uh, I fucking suck at math, but
2: well, probably, I mean, it depends on your deal, but you're probably getting what, maybe a dollar or a dollar 50 or something from that. Plus you got to recoup and who knows? And that's assuming the label even pays you and it's entirely likely they won't. (laughs) Yeah. and,
1: And if, if you do that, if you go the label route, and you're making 10%, for you to make $40,000, you have to sell a shit ton of records. That's a lot of records. But if you're if you're making $7 a record, you don't have to sell that many to make 40000 bucks.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com.
2: go to distrokid.com/vip/the slash punk rock nba and thanks again to distrokid for sponsoring this episode so i wanted to ask you specifically about spotify because i know you know lots of people complain about spotify payments and you know that that has been documented a billion times but if i'm correct you make the majority of your income from spotify is that right yeah I'd say seventy-five percent, and you have what now, like a hundred and some thousand monthly listeners.
1: I think it's close to one hundred and sixty thousand for Bill Murray, but I've also got the March Ahead, which hovers around seventy thousand, eighty thousand.
2: Okay, so call it call it two hundred fifty thousand monthly listeners between all your projects at this point. Yeah, which is a good amount, but it's not like crazy huge.
1: No, I mean it's doable, like especially spread across multiple projects. It's not just all in one. The thing is, is like if you release good music and music that people like and want to listen to, Spotify is going to push that out to as many people as they can. Cause that's what they want. They want people to listen to music. They want people on their app. So if you make music that gets people on their app, they're going to be like, oh, okay, let's push it out. I mean, I think Spotify in a lot of ways is the best record label because you know, They take 30%, which is fine. And then they promote the shit out of your music.
2: And they invested billions of dollars in building a technology platform. Yes. That you have access to with no upfront cost.
1: And you can upload as much as you want. Yeah. And have access to what 150 million users now.
2: That's how I feel about YouTube. You know, same thing. They built this amazing platform. And if you make videos that people like, they'll promote them. And I mean, that's how I got you know, ninety nine percent of the following I have is thanks to YouTube. For
1: sure. So I think like before the internet, touring had to happen. There's no other way to like reach people. Touring and the radio. What other like you're gonna drop leaflets from a plane?
2: Or you could be like the War Tour Punishers handing out CDs in the parking lot.
1: Yeah, but I mean, even that's like, but that's internet basically era. touring. Yeah, yeah. So before the internet really took off, that was the way to do it. That's how you got your name out there. But now I actually think it's flipped. So I think you need to get your name out on the internet. And then once that's out enough, then you get people to come to shows. Because why would somebody go
2: see your band if they don't know who you are? And by the way, how valuable is it even to go out there and play to eight people in Buffalo?
1: You're going to waste your money.
2: And like days and days of time, like what's the point?
1: And the time that you like if you buy a van that's $5,000, that's an album, you know, that's two albums, uh, like you going on tour, you get a thousand dollars of merch. That's a couple covers that you could put out. You get, you know, spend a thousand dollars on gas. Like that's more, that's an advertising. You basically just did a year's worth of album cycles on that one tour.
2: And maybe you played to a few hundred people in total.
1: Yeah, ask any band. They all have horror stories. A few hundred people would be dope. I mean, most
2: of the time, those tours, it's like five. I mean, 200 people over the course of the entire tour. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, that
1: would be, you know, incredible. But (laughs) like most tours, like young bands go on, they think they're like, oh, we're getting our name out there. But it's like a single Facebook post is going to get
2: your name out there more than this entire tour. Exactly. That's how I think about it. It's like if you do a really good job on Instagram, I mean, some of my posts and I'm not like super famous or anything. Some of mine will have like a reach of like 40,000. I hit 40,000 people with some post that took me 10 minutes to make.
1: Yeah, which I don't you know, I don't blame bands for wanting to do the tour thing because that's just the way it's been forever,
2: especially if they enjoy it. That's a whole yeah. other like if you just like it and you're like, yeah, it doesn't make us money, but we like to do it. Cool. Then do it.
1: We want to go out and get fucked up and play to 10 people a night, which, dude, I mean, if people like doing that, then hell yeah. Like, <laughs> Sounds like remember, torture to me. But. Yeah. I mean, but, but we're, you know, introverts. Yeah. But like I, I did post this one time and some guy was like, you know, I went out on tour with my band 10 years ago and I was with my best friends and it sucked and I'll remember it for the rest of my life. And I'm so glad I did. And I was like, that's fair. That's cool. I mean, I'm glad you had that experience. For me, if I did that, I would be in such a bad mental state and hate it so much. (laughs) So anyways, the point I was making was like what I coach a lot of bands to do is build a fan base before you go out on tour. Uh, Because then you'll go out and it'll be a good experience. You know, for me, I'm like, if 50 people come out to the show, I'm gonna have a damn blast. And it'll be worthwhile. Even if 50 people come out, you'll make a decent amount of money um, if you're doing more DIY stuff. Like, we have we made more on our DIY tour than we made on, like, our big tour. Um, just because the venues don't charge anything, they give you all the door and, like, which is cool. So, I mean, if you can get 50 people out anywhere in, in the Midwest, say, like then you then you start touring, then you start building that thing, because then you get fifty people to come out, and then they tell more people, and that kind of thing happens. It spreads that way, but no one's gonna tell someone about a show that they played where one person was there. <laughs>
2: The, the other thing that I think is important for people to understand is that the reason why the economics of Spotify... And correct me if I'm saying anything wrong here, but the reason why the economics of Spotify work out so well for you is because you don't have a label involved, because you upload it all yourself, you get 100% of all that Spotify revenue as opposed to having to take your pittance off the top from a label.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's like very interesting because you... If you're on a label, you get a small percentage of that, and then you got to pay taxes. You know, it's just like you put all those things in. You your manager takes fifteen percent, taxes take thirty percent. Like you are getting maybe one one hundredth of
2: of what you're actually bringing in. So, but all those people, all those complainers, they signed up for that. Like when yeah, you signed, you signed the, the contract. contract. <laughs> if you didn't understand it, I'm sorry, but you signed it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like I remember I used to be kind of butthurt about that, like we made them so much money. It's like, you know what, dude, like you signed the contract, you you did all this stuff. And and honestly, like I I think Rise Records treated us pretty damn well. And I don't think we would have been anywhere near as successful as we were without them. So it's like, yeah, I don't know.
2: I mean, would you be here now without them? Maybe. Fuck no. Maybe no. not. You know, I mean, they did a lot for you.
1: No, absolutely not. It's like, yeah. So there is that mindset where it's like, yeah, I can make myself the victim. But also a lot of good came out of that that uh, situation. And we like sold a lot of records. But we are also so fucking stupid with our money.
2: <laughs> well, because you're children. And- Yeah,
1: and that's why we, uh, I mean, like, I don't want to paint it like we made no money. We just spent all the money that we made Uh on dumb shit. Like, we're like, we want a full crew. We want a bus. We're going to pay everyone really well. And then it's like, well, dude, you know, if you do that, (laughs) you don't get any money at the end. Like, So I I think, like, a lot of that, you know, I, I like to take the mentality of, oh, what it was probably my fault. What could I have done to make it better? Um, so yeah, no shade on on anyone, but yeah, I, I just think like if you're a, if you want to be like a mid tier band, you can make a lot of money
2: independently. I think what you're doing really reminds me a lot of how rappers operate these days. It's so funny you said that. That's literally exactly who I modeled the
1: entire business model of Bill Murray off of.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Tell me about that.
1: I just remember 2016, I think was around the time that rap just started absolutely destroying rock. I mean, it had been for a couple of years, but that was where it just kicked off. I remember looking at Spotify top 50 cause I always look at it and it was all rap. There was, there's not a rock song to be found. And, uh, so I was like, okay i mean i was listening to rap all the time too i do too yeah so i just they were putting out the interesting stuff so i started looking at it like okay what do rappers do that rock artists don't do they're always on social media they promote the shit out of themselves on social media they work hard on that they uh put out two three albums a year they like are independent and they get their beats from wherever i mean like they just make it happen they don't have any rules they'll record wherever they can I remember I was watching an interview of, of uh, Noah 40 who produces for Drake he was like yeah we, we recorded this song in a bathroom of a hotel and I was like that is the dopest shit dude like, I've heard that
2: a million times from people that yeah. recorded huge artists on a fucking iPhone in a hotel room
1: yeah I love that I think that's like rebellious it's like fuck fuck you dude I'm gonna record this top 40 hit on an iPhone I'm like yes dude that's what I like. Exactly. There's no rules. Yeah. And, but the, the thing that I felt like, too, is rock is the Catholic church. You know, it's it's established. There's all these rules. There's all these things you can and can't do. You can't sample. You can't,
2: you know. They get so butthurt about the most inconsequential things, like whether you use fucking amp sims or not.
1: Yeah. You can't have programmed drums.
2: Who fucking cares? Like zero people listening care.
1: Yeah. How about I do my program drums and make way more music, you know, way quicker, way cheaper.
2: And it sounds fine. It sounds better to me.
1: (laughs) But yeah, so I I looked at that and I just like loved the promotion, the amount that they put out and the DIY nature where they're just like, I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So I modeled Bill Murray entirely after that. I was like, that's what you need to do now to have this be successful and be dope.
2: There's a uh, a term that they talk about like with media companies a lot, which I, I like a lot, is that it's like the winners are a, a barbell shaped distribution, meaning that if you're a really big company like Disney, you're doing great. Or if you are a really tiny company like, say, a YouTuber, you're doing great. But if you're in the middle, that's the squeeze is all those kind of bloated they're 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 not big enough to be like the big dogs but they're not small and nimble enough to be over here they're just kind of in that bloated middle and that's where they're getting squeezed and i think that's where a lot of rock artists are too
1: that is super true i completely agree with that it's like they're doing things in such an old school way where like your music is your product that's what you're selling at a show you're selling your music and you know it's it sucks to look at it like that sometimes but just is what it is. It is what it is, dude. I'm trying to live a good life and eat lots of food and <laughs> you know, do shit that I want to do. So here we are. But yeah, I, I I can totally see that where I have such low expenses, no overhead, everything runs in the background, everything's automated. And um I really don't have to do much other than write music to have the band go. Like I've built like a system everything kind of works. I got the robots doing all mm-hmm. the 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 heavy lifting instead of you know people because that's I'm a small artist. You know, it's just me here. But if I had a bunch of staff, I would not have enough nearly enough money to pay for
2: all that stuff. Well, you just got to run it like a business. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you about like the social media stuff. What I love about the way you approach a lot of your content some of it is is pretty polished like some of the music videos and stuff but a lot of it is like real shitty too yeah in in a great way yeah and i love that you are not that you understand that production values don't mean shit
1: i didn't always understand that it took me a long time i remember watching youtube videos and be like this looks like it was shot on a phone what the fuck dude like i could do a better job yeah i could and then I just stopped for a second and I was like, oh, it's, it's still funny. Yeah. It's still enjoyable to watch. It's a delivery system that's working, so why am I hating on it? And then once I fully embraced that, start making, like, some of my favorite shit. <laughs> like, some of my favorite music videos are ones that, like, we went out with a, you know, an old shitty camera and fucked around or, like, didn't take more than 10 minutes to make, you know? Like one of my videos, I just stood in front of a green screen or like acted in front of a green screen for 15 minutes and that was it. That one was great. We, yeah. It's like one of my favorite videos.
2: Or, or like one thing you did that it was so simple, but it just really works. I forget which album it is because there's so many of them. I can't keep them all straight. But for the YouTube versions of some of the songs, it was just a loop of you sitting on your front porch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, a taco.
2: And it's just a simple little thing. That just gives a little bit more personality than just, you know, the album art in the middle of the frame. But, you know, it didn't take you that long to do. It's just like there's always that little creative twist that makes it like the way I've been talking about lately is like just better than the default. Yeah. You know, if the if the default is putting the album art in the middle of the frame, you don't have to like make the best thing that was ever made. You just have to make something that's a little bit better than the default. Well, and I just
1: get so bored of it.
2: Yeah, because it's just that's the default. Everyone's seen it before and we're all like inundated with media and like even if it's free, people don't understand that even free content, you're still asking for something from the world. You're asking for people's attention, which is a very I mean, if anything, like you're asking for people's time, which is the most limited scarce resource of all. True. So, the fact that it's free like that doesn't really mean shit, you know? So, what are you what are you offering? with this free content you're putting out into the world that is going to make someone say, this is worth me spending a few minutes of my life on it, which I'll never get back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think it's partly that and partly just, I get bored of the other stuff and I have fun making those videos, you know,
2: like... Totally. And you can tell, yeah. and I don't understand why people think of that part as like a chore. Or I mean, I guess I understand maybe not everyone likes that part, but... I kind of feel like you need to like if you don't enjoy the promotion part too, and this is true of whether you are, you know, a visual artist or a sculptor or whatever the fuck you do. Like if you don't enjoy the promotional part, I think these days you're really going to struggle because that's like half the job.
1: Yeah, it. I mean, it is a large portion of of what you do, and it does take time to get comfortable with that. You know, it took me a long time to be like. My music's fucking dope. You should listen to it. (laughs) Like, yeah, you know, but I believe it. So it, you know, it's easier to say it, but the first time you say it, yeah, like I really think that this is awesome and you should listen to it felt weird. But I
2: mean, that's truly what promoting music is. Well, it's interesting you say that because I don't, I mean, I guess you sort of do that, but I don't, I don't get that sense from your content because I, I, I do feel like I don't I don't feel like you're selling me. I feel like you're just sort of having fun on the Internet. And if other people want to watch, that's cool. But I don't feel like, you know, you're doing the the punishing, like listen to my band, listen to my band, listen to my band, listen to my band kind of thing that just like makes me want to put a
1: bullet in my head. Well, that's like the opposite of what you should be doing, because what gets people to listen to your band is making stuff that's enjoyable for them to consume. And not asking anything in return.
2: It's true, and it, I don't know why that's such a hard thing for so many bands to understand. And I, I feel like it's just part of the culture of, you know, getting back to rap. I feel like rappers just look at it as entertainment, and rock bands don't. And I don't really understand why.
1: Me either. I mean, I do think it'll change. I mean, or it's like adapt or die kind of thing. But uh, yeah, there is a there is a very a purity to it on my end where i'm like i just dude i i like making dumb shit that makes people laugh that's one of my you know i love entertaining people i love i love doing it i like getting laughs and all that stuff so music videos are such a great way to do that or if i can throw something in that makes someone smile or whatever like is very enjoyable to me
2: Another piece of content that you put out, which I think I talked about in a video. I don't remember. If not, I should, is your studio tour that you did, I don't know, two years ago or whatever. And what I loved about it is like, I mean, I think your music is very, very well done. Your studio was not fancy. I know a lot of people with way, 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 way nicer setups than you have, but their music doesn't sound as good as yours. And I love the fact that you were like, Hey, I have this kind of older computer and a cheap microphone, and this is all I use to make what I do. You don't need anything fancy.
1: Yeah. it's so it was always so funny when I was recording bands, they would come to the studio and be like, you you could just see it on their face. (laughs) Like, oh, so this is it, huh? (laughs) like, like, yeah, my dude. It's like, where's the drummer set up? Like, there is no drummer set up. We're just MIDI in that shit.
2: (laughs) Well, going back to our mutual friend, Joey Sturgis, I mean, when he was making all those records that blew him and all those bands up that place was a shithole
1: dude i mean we recorded in a garage with no bathroom we yeah did it yeah <laughs> like it was a shithole but it was a fun shithole
2: we had a lot of fun and <laughs> that. he made a lot of fucking amazing records there
1: dude yeah i mean when we had gotten there he had just moved out of the garage and we he got a house because he had a couple records that did really well before then but Like, we were living in that shit for a month, dude. Yeah, it was not nice by any means. And he was, I mean, he truly changed everything because he showed me that you didn't need the greatest stuff to to make a record. And I was like, damn, dude, I can do this. Or at least I can get enough gear to be able to (laughs) potentially, like, make something good like this, dude. Because, I mean, before we went in and recorded with him, I was, all of my favorite records were his every single one it's like what's your five favorite records It's like all the ones joey did this year yeah <laughs> like when we got signed it, it, there was no question uh who we wanted to go to it's like joey absolutely there's no other even consideration so yeah i mean like being able to i mean i just worked with what i had i didn't have a bunch of money to to make a dope studio i'm sure maybe i would have but I'm glad I didn't because I was able to make something unique with, the, with what I was given.
2: And do you really think that your records would have been any better if you used a U87 instead of whatever that Audio-Technica thing or whatever you have is? No. It wouldn't have no. been even 1% better.
1: Yeah. And I remember like the first two years of me producing was one of the most frustrating times. I remember those first two years, I didn't make a single thing I liked. Um, and I didn't know why it sucked. Which is the most frustrating <laughs> thing? I was like, "This sucks," and I couldn't. You, you want to you know why? It's look
2: in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Well, that was the thing that I needed to realize was like, "Oh man, if I had this drum pack or if I had this thing, I'd be okay." But I read this book on recording, and it was like, "No, you can make good stuff with only stock plugins and and." I finally, once I came to that realization, I got way better way faster.
2: Well, I keep harping on this because it's just a thing that I keep hearing from so many people and I've done it too. Like, oh, well, I'm going to start my YouTube channel as soon as I can afford this camera or I'm going to start my podcast as soon as I can hire someone to edit it. Or like, it's always like, well, I'll start as soon as I have X, whatever that thing is. And the reason I harp on it is because I love what you said is you just make the most of whatever you have. And... The funny part is that, like almost always, you have everything you need to make something really good. Like I've told these stories before, but probably people listening to this haven't heard them. Like the two times with music, I really realized that was true. Is I I was recording my stupid joke death metal band years ago, and I, I didn't really like the way the guitars sounded. I was using some amp sim, and I thought it was because of that. And so I had a friend of mine reamp them using the tone from a Motionless and White record with ridiculously amazing guitar tone on it and it came back sounding like absolute shit like worse <laughs> than the amp sim i was using and i was like what like <laughs> what that wasn't supposed to happen there's
1: no excuse yeah, yeah i was like, like oh
2: shit and then uh, another time i did a class in creative live with andrew wade who's produced a bunch of bands like data remember and the ghost inside and wage war and stuff awesome producer and uh he had to record a really quick snippet of something for the class. Cause he was like, Oh shit, I forgot to record this thing. And I was like, well, you can use my guitar and my computer, but it's, it doesn't sound very good. And he's like, well, whatever, I'll make the most of it. And it sounded like 10 times better than anything I had ever done. Yeah. And he did it in like 10 minutes. I was like, Oh shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember I realized that when I was producing, I was like, there's certain guitars that are so much easier to dial in a tone for. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's because they're fucking dope guitarists and they yeah. know how to play. There's certain like,
2: hands that are easier to dial tones in for. Exactly. That's what it comes down it's like,
1: to. You can give John Mayer a $30 guitar and he's going to make it sound amazing. they will sound but great. You can, give, you can give someone who sucks a guitar a
2: $3,000 guitar and it's not going to sound good. By the way, I should say one of the very like heaviest live guitar sounds I've ever heard I went to the uh, Attack Attack release show at uh, Newport in. You were there. Yeah, I think that was 2011 Dude. or 10. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded fucking amazing, and I remember looking at your guitar. And being like, that doesn't look like a very nice guitar, but it sounds fucking amazing. It was like a mid-range Schecter. It sounded incredible. So that's a great great example of it. That's when I first. That's when the the pieces started turning for me. Actually, I was like Johnny's guitar sounds amazing, and it's not that nice.
1: Dude. Well, I will say we had like a boss sound dude. Like unbelievable. I mean I'm a decent guitarist. I can make it sound good, but he's an amazing sound guy too. So
2: Well, he gets the, then the two of you guys get some credit cuz it sounded fucking awesome.
1: <laughs> dude, that's hilarious you were at that show.
2: Yeah, of course. I believe that's when I met uh Chase Clymer.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> that's great. Chase is a boss. But yeah, dude. That's that's so funny.
2: Or, you know, another example, my old boss at Creative Live is a pretty well-known photographer. His name's Chase Jarvis. If people are into photography, they probably know who he is. And he has, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gear. As I always tell people, you can give him my iPhone. I'll take his $50,000 Hasselblad. Guess who's going to take a better picture? Yep. So if you're listening and you're thinking you need to wait until you get some piece of gear or anything like that, you don't. You just need to start and you'll get better.
1: Yeah. One of the the interesting things, too, is um, I've been using, I purposefully use cheap gear for Bill Murray live. Um, I use a hundred dollar guitar. Our bassist bass is like 300 bucks. But in my opinion, I think we sound incredible, you know, because we're tight. We play together well. Everyone knows their parts. Um, I mean, our stuff sounds good, but it doesn't cost a ton of money. It's like you don't need Axe Effects to get a good sound. You don't need a two thousand dollar guitar.
2: In fact, it doesn't even help. I wish it did. No. <laughs> I also no, borrowed yeah. an Axe Effects from Fractal Audio again, thinking like, okay, finally, this is gonna be it. Sounded exactly the fucking same as it did before. <laughs> I wish you could buy talent. Yeah, just doesn't work that way. No, (laughs) it doesn't matter at (laughs) all. So just give up. If that's your plan is to, to buy your way into quality. It does not work that way.
1: Yeah. And I mean, dude, it's like, sometimes it's just fun to make music. Even if it's not like great, you can make it and laugh at it later when you're older. You know, like I always tell people just make as much stuff as you can, whatever the quality because When you're 50 and you're listening to some like death metal album you made when you're 15, you're going to think that's hilarious and you're going to love it and cherish it.
2: And you know, I think these days people might actually like rough, unpolished, quote unquote, like low quality content more in a lot of situations because it feels real and authentic. Um, For example, like Instagram stuff, like if it's some like beautifully shot DSLR picture that's been edited and all that stuff. Like, I can look at it. I'm like, oh, that's a really nice photo. It just feels contrived to me. Whereas, like, uh, I've mentioned it before, but, like, the rapper Shinigami, like... I don't know what kind of phone he has, but it's a piece of shit because the stuff he posts on Instagram looks terrible. It looks like it's like an iPhone 4 or something like that, but it works because it just feels so real. It's like him standing in his room playing like Game Boy Advance or something shot on an iPhone 4 and it it's way better than if it was on a DSLR.
1: Dude, well, like, I mean, you look at memes themselves and, like, the ones that look shittier, I like more. They're better, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know why,
2: but, like... Because it feels real and, like, raw and authentic. It's the same reason I like a lot of the old, like, MySpace Death Corps stuff better. It sounds like dog shit, but it sounds like a bunch of kids in their basement making something that they were stoked on, and then those same bands years later go to some, you know, big-name producer with a bigger budget, and it's like, yeah this is boring now.
1: Yeah, I kind of like the basement stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think yeah, there's a lot sure. to be said for that, and, you know, I don't think people should, like deliberately make things shitty but on the other hand like just make whatever you make like you said i think just the answer is just making as much stuff as you can and that's how you'll find what's right for you
1: it's so funny like sometimes the technically wrong decision is the right decision especially because you want to always be challenging the listener on what they think is going to happen yes i love albums where i'm like i don't know what the next part is going to be i hate when i listen to a song and i'm like all right, I hear the first three seconds. I'm like, I know exactly what their whole song's going to be. But, like, you listen to a Dan and dance song, and you're like, I don't know what the next part's going to be. I don't know be. if they know. Like, Yeah, which is awesome. So, it's like, I, I really enjoy music like that. But the wrong, you know, there's a part in this next album where there's a breakdown at the end. And instead of like re recording it, I just used the demo MP3 of the breakdown and just put it at the end and then added a. Added this sub drop that like distorted the entire mix, and com- you can't hear anything other than the sub drop. I'm like, this to me is way more, it's technically wrong in every single way, but it's way more interesting to listen to than if I were to do everything like quote unquote legit.
2: Totally. And that's what I loved again about that MySpace Deathcore stuff. I remember, I think it was like Demolisher, one of those bands, they would have like a sub drop on the one of every measure. Yes. And I was like, this is amazing. I love this.
1: You're like, this shouldn't be right. The but best it thing feels ever. so yeah. good.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, that there's like a certain rebellion to it that I like. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm not gonna play the by the rules. I'm just gonna do what I like to do, which makes you stand out.
2: It totally does. And again, I mean, getting back to what we were talking about before, for I think for a lot of people, there's a, a huge number of people that just never even get started because they're afraid. You know, they're afraid that they don't know how to do it the right way. And I almost like that's frustrating to me because I want them to do it the wrong way because they're probably going to make something cool.
1: Yeah, dude. I mean, I'm always, I'm always encouraging people to, to make stuff. You never know what's going to happen. And worst case scenario, you make something that sucks that you laugh at later in life. But I do think as I've thought about it more, the biggest impediment to people making stuff and doing what they want is just fear. It's like, I'm afraid I'm gonna make something bad. I'm afraid people are gonna judge me. I'm afraid of standing in front of a crowd. And like all those things, I mean, I've experienced all those things. I'm afraid of releasing, you know, when I first started, I'm afraid of releasing an album. I did it, it was scary, but you get the benefit. You get over to the other side. And I think the more you can do stuff that is scary to you, the more you'll be in a place that no one else is because Every time you make that decision of, I'm going to do this thing, even though it's scary, there's hundreds of people that stopped then, Mm -hmm. you know? And and so, like, that, I I do think fear is the biggest, like, inhibitor of creativity and getting to where you want to be.
2: Cool. Well, I've taken up enough of your time, and I think that's a good note to end things. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm excited we got a chance to chat.
1: Yeah, man. I feel like we're kindred spirits.
2: I agree. I can feel the telepathic connection through Skype here. <laughs> Same, man. So I appreciate it. And uh, Rich Sips comes out when? It might be out by the time this podcast is released.
1: Uh, December 17th, so next Wednesday.
2: Okay, so it will, it will be out by then. So if you're listening to this, go check out the Bill Murray. That's B-I-L-M-U-R-I, Bill Murray album Rich Sips on Spotify or wherever else you consume music. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I will see you if you ever make it out to Seattle or if I ever make it out to Columbus again.
1: Yeah, man, thanks for having me on.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast.